Today we're continuing in our Blessed to be a Blessing sermon series. I'm so thankful to return here to faith and be able to take this time to share with you. As I said, Sarah and I were able to get away and celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary. We, we took time to go to the Townsend Hotel. Now, my family doesn't own the hotel, just to let you know my last name is Townsend, uh, but it's in uh, Bloomfield Hills, Birmingham, somewhere. Somewhere that there's a lot more money than I can imagine. And uh, we went there and had a wonderful, relaxing time and just enjoyed one another's company. So we're thankful for that time that we had to get away and to celebrate. Celebrations are important. If you think about life and the celebrations that you have and should be recognizing, you have many of them. There's dates, birth dates, anniversaries, things of that nature. Men, I want you to think right now of the date that you went on your first date with your wife. Some of you are going, hmm, I wonder when that was. And your wife is going, I know. That's one of the things that we can celebrate when we have special dates, special times in our life. This is a special time. Gathering for worship here on a Sunday morning is a special time. When people invest in God and their relationship with him, it is special. It's special that Jeff and his team gather early and prepare the music for us to worship. Because I truly believe when we sing praises to God, it opens our heart up to get into his word in an even deeper way, but also to hear his word and his grace and blessings through the songs as well when we sing them together. I just want to thank Jeff and his team for the blessings that they give us each and every week. It's a wonderful gift that they have that they share with this community and beyond because of the online community. Now back to our sermon series, Blessed to be a Blessing, which is connected to, which is connected to the, okay, I'm good, which is connected to the book, Discover Your Gifts that many of you have read or are going through the workbook in your life groups. Thank you for the opportunity that you have to do that. If you don't have a book and would like one, if you're new here, there's some on the table in the back you can pick up. Today we're looking at critical thinking, and we're looking at it as connected to Thomas, one of Jesus' chosen, and that's in the New Testament book of John. And we're going to look at John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. So if you'd like to open your Bibles or your app to get to that, please do so. I'm going to read it as we hear these words as well. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into, the si into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is God's word. We continue in our message by understanding the word spoken is special to understanding the word read is special. I don't know in your daily Bible reading if you just read it to yourself or read it out loud. Maybe that could be a new practice for you if you don't already do it. Take time to read out loud God's word. We can hear it in a different way as opposed to just inner reflection. Sometimes some of us, when we hear it, we hear something different than just the inner reflection. So I would encourage you, as maybe you have your Bibles open in the morning as you're going through a time of coffee. Am I going out or am I okay? Oh, okay. Maybe it's just my ears. Hmm. But take time to read God's Word and read it out loud as well. Today, as I said, we're going to be looking at Thomas, doubting Thomas. A lot of times in our Bibles, we have headers in certain points, and most of our Bibles say, Doubting Thomas as a header for this area that we've read. So Doubting Thomas, he's, I don't know, got a bad rap over a couple thousand years, but also there's some good stuff that'll come out as we share as well. Some people get confused when we see the word Didymus in the description to Thomas. A few weeks ago, you may recall that I spoke about Matthew, the tax collector, who is also named Levi. Thomas has something similar He's referred to Didymus here, and Thomas is understood in his Aramaic name, and then Didymus was the Greek name, and Thomas also has a root Hebrew name, which is Taim, which actually means paired twin. So that's where we get this information that Thomas was a twin. Now, nowhere in Scripture do we hear about the twin, about the brother or sister. I don't know if it's an identical twin. That's why I said brother or sister. So we have this twin, and some people really get hung up on this. They want that information and want that detail. And when I talk to them about that, I ask this question, does that make a difference in your salvation? No, it doesn't. So we move on together this morning because it doesn't make a difference for our salvation if we know who Thomas's twin was. Our focus text from John chapter 20 is important, but I want to offer some information about Thomas that we find earlier in this same gospel. An example, the first mention of Thomas in this gospel is John chapter 11, verse 16. But let's set this up before I read this. This is the story of the raising of Lazarus. We spoke about this just a number of weeks ago and went through that in detail. Verse 14 through 16 states, so then he, he being Jesus, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Right here we have Thomas calling out to his fellow disciples, come on, let's go, let's die with the master. Some theologians believe that Thomas in his proclamation was not talking about Lazarus, but was foretelling about Jesus himself and the disciples following Jesus into death. Thomas's determination to follow Jesus is a great point, even to death. And that's a valuable lesson that he offers us. It reveals his total commitment to Jesus. 
He wasn't in the background not saying anything. He was making these statements. You hardly hear about Thomas, except for the doubting part. But Thomas made some clear statements that are good for us to rethink about. Thomas is in a critical thinking manner in making these statements. He had all the information that he needed at that time to make an informed decision. That's part of critical thinking. And he was committed in his relationship to Jesus. So he made that proclamation. And at this point in his expression, and I pray everyone online you hear can hear this, that Thomas was recognizing that he was never too distant from Jesus, even into death. Sometimes in our life, we feel distant from Jesus. We're going through some challenges, maybe some doubts, and we feel distant from Jesus. I want to share with you and remind you that Jesus opened his arms up on the cross so we could come to him and be held by him so that we would never feel distant from him. He never wants us to feel distant from him. So Thomas is getting right up close and he wants to be with Jesus even to his death. So we need to be reminded of that. Moving forward to another text that includes and precludes the focus text for this morning. It talks about Thomas. We find it in John 14. I'm going to read it in a moment. But think about funeral, funerals you've been to. This is a primary text for many funerals that I've gone to and have presided at. Here's the text. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And this is verse five that is often not shared at funerals. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Thomas has this profound statement. Again, we don't hear much about Thomas in the Bible, but he has some profound statements that we can grab hold of. And he's, he's doing these words in a sense in a searching. In his own fashion of critical thinking, he was making an effort, as page 45 of the Discover Your Gifts workbook states, to process data, to problem solve, or make informed decisions. So he was trying to get all the information that he could to make an informed decision. And Thomas gets more data, and he says this. Then Jesus says, verse 6, one of the most quoted texts in the Bible, I believe. Verse 6, chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Powerful words. Good words for Thomas to have, good words for us to have, good words for us to share with people that are searching. A lot of people think there are many ways to heaven. There are not. There is one. It is the truth. It is Jesus the Christ and confessing him as Lord and Savior in order to know the Father and to be in heaven together with him, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right, let's get back to our focus text, that being from John chapter 20. This is the record of Jesus appearing to the disciples, verse 19 and following again uh, from an earlier reading. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
After he said this, he showed them his hands and the side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed upon them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Powerful words. Huge message here. Jesus gave them the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes we think of in the book of Acts, we wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon them and the flame comes over them. And that's where we think the Holy Spirit first came to be. But in fact, Jesus is breathing upon them. Rauk is the, uh, the Hebrew word for this, the breathing of the Spirit. Jesus is breathing upon them and giving them the Holy Spirit. And then he's sending them. We have to know that as well because Jesus doesn't want us to stay static, to sit on our hands. He sends us to do his work in his way. And also, for those of you who study Luther's small catechism, or even large catechism for some of you, that latter statement is regarding the office of the keys that we find in Luther's writing in the small catechism and large catechism. How many of you had to study the large catechism? Just a few of you. I was fortunate, I only had a small one. A little story aside, in seminary, uh, I was at Luther Seminary, and one of the things that they had you do was memorize the small catechism. Oh, joy, for someone that has trouble remembering their full name. But anyways, you had to go into a proctor and you had to state the small catechism. And I would share at the end of parts of the statement, the small catechism, I would say, for this is most certainly true. Well, I got through the whole thing. I was feeling really good. It's like, wow, that was good. And then he said, you failed. What? He said, you were adding words. Where did I add words? And it was that statement, for this is most certainly true. It's not, all of those words aren't there in Luther's small catechism. So he had me do it again. It's hard going to cemetery, I mean seminary. Sometimes it feels like the cemetery. So for those of you looking to go to seminary, be blessed. Well, anyways, the office of the keys, we have Thomas, we have this Jesus appearance to the 12, or to the 11, then we have Thomas here. And this text that I'm going to reread for us again to emphasize verses 24 and beyond are powerful words. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came in. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And in these concluding words, verse 30, 
Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, I'm not sure where Thomas was. Originally, we, f we see in the text that he wasn't in the room, this secure room with his fellow disciples. I don't know if he was out getting food for them. Maybe he was doing that. Maybe he was out letting their families know that everything was okay and that they were safe. Maybe he was just running an errand. I, I don't know. And well, God's word doesn't tell us, so why spend much time on that? We know that uh, Thomas is now in the room when Jesus returns. The disciples were excited because of the first appearance of Jesus. They move from fear to focused enthusiasm. We realize that when they moved from fear of not knowing about Jesus, what, what's happening with Jesus, to focused enthusiasm. And that enthusiasm must have elevated when Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit upon them and they sense the Spirit with them. And maybe you've had that experience at times, that you sense the Spirit with you. And sometimes that, that comes to me and my body feels warm and I sense the Spirit with me. And it's just a powerful thing. Sometimes it's just goosebumps that I get in certain situations, especially reading God's Word out loud. But these disciples had the Holy Spirit breathed upon them by the Savior. So they had uh, went from a, a fearful group of guys to now focused enthusiasm, and we're thankful for that. We're thankful for their enthusiasm so that they can go out and make disciples. I have some questions for you. Are you living in fear? I don't know all of you well enough to understand what's going on in your personal lives, your professional lives, but are you living in fear? Or are you walking in faith? There may be some people watching online right now that are living in fear. They haven't been able to take that faithful step forward because of fear in their life circumstances that we may never understand. But we need to, I pray, have a focused enthusiasm, enthusiasm about being a disciple and about making disciples especially since that's part of the mission here at Faith. I'm confident that if you were one of those first disciples that was in that secure room and Jesus came in and he's standing amongst you and he breathes the Holy Spirit on you, you would be enthusiastic. That fear would be washed away. And you're like, man, let's go get him. You'd be like on a sports team running out of the dugout. Let's win this one. Jesus had these disciples, enthusiastic guys at that moment. But Thomas wasn't there. God gave us Thomas, doubting Thomas for a reason. Thomas pushes back against the disciples because he wasn't present. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And as we know from Scripture, eight days later, Jesus reappears and Thomas is present. 
Imagine, if you will, being Thomas in that moment. You've made that clear statement that unless Jesus is standing in front of me like he did for you guys, I'm not believing. I want to put my hand in his side. Sounds gross, doesn't it? It's like, really? You want to do that? I'm sure it's just visual. But, but Thomas has made that statement clear that he's not going to believe, not believe his friends that he's hung out with for three years, trusted his life with. He's not going to believe that they have seen the risen Lord in that secure room. But you're in that secure room now. You're the Thomas. I wonder what you'd do. Would you all of a sudden believe because Jesus is standing before you? Because you touched his hands and his side? There's a momentous moment here when Jesus reappears and calls out Thomas. Jesus said, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not be faithless, but believing. So Jesus calls Thomas out, right? That's what I like about this. He doesn't just go and pat him on his head. (laughs) I'm here. He calls him out because he knows what Thomas has said to the others. So he calls him out and says, yeah, come on, do it. I'm here. But Thomas reacts right away with with this awesome profession of faith. My Lord, my God. I pray we would have that response if we had any doubt as well. St. Augustine, who many Lutherans consider one of the theological fathers of the Protestant Reformation because of his views on salvation and divine grace, Martin Luther himself referenced him multiple times. St. Augustine wrote this about Thomas in the 5th century. Thomas saw and touched the man and acknowledged the God whom he neither saw nor touched, but by the means of what he saw and touched, he now put far away from him every doubt and believed the other. He wasn't thinking about, at that time, about believing in the man, the physical man, Jesus being human yet divine. Now, Augustine is telling us he's believing in God in the fullness of Jesus, even though those earlier comments I made of Thomas, he seemed very faithful, but he must have went into a fearful mode when Jesus was crucified and he had his doubts. Scripture continues with Jesus' last words to Thomas. Have you, ble- have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen yet believe. Hmm. 2,000 years later, there's some people still wanting to see to believe. That Scripture, sola, uh comes to us uh, in a way from Luther's writings, this gospel text about Thomas Sola Fida that is faith alone, that we're called to have faith alone in the power of God. This sentence, blessed are those who do not see yet believe is more for us today, that we are people that can't necessarily see the physical Jesus in front of us, like the disciples did, and yet we're called to believe. We're called to have faith. Many of you have witnessed the power of God in action. Many of you maybe have seen miracles take place. Life's transformed because of the power of God and the Holy Spirit, and you believe. 
And yet there might be some people online or in this room that struggle to fully invest themselves in Jesus the Christ and believe in him. Many people that I've talked to believe, uh, Jesus, that guy you believe in, he's a great teacher, great historical figure, a great philosopher, a great healer. Some people, it's difficult to get through because of their doubt and believing something that they can't touch, that they can't see. But that's where faith comes in. And scripture gives us that, that blessing of having a fundamental principle of faith. Blessed are you who do not see, yet you believe. I pray your presence in our time of worship here, in this time of recognizing freedom in our country with this long 4th of July weekend, you know that you are blessed. Blessed to be in this room or online. Blessed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Blessed to have freedom in him, let alone the freedom that we have here in this country. Now, we may not have been in the room 2,000 years ago and touched the hands or put a hand in the side, but we know we are blessed because of people that have went before us, even people like Doubting Thomas. Let me drop a little more wisdom on you from another Thomas, a, not the biblical one that we've been referencing, but the great medieval theologian Aquinas, from Aquinas, Thomas Aquinas. He wrote this in the 13th century. Those who believe without seeing are more meritorious, maybe the microphone doesn't like that word, meritorious, than those who, seeing, believe. It is a special blessing to be able to believe without seeing. But I believe that we can see Jesus at work in one another's lives, that we can see the Holy Spirit working in and through us and other people proclaiming Christ. There's a great scripture reference, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, coming up on the screen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's why faith alone is so important. Let me wrap this message up. Thomas's case is applicable in three ways, giving three reasons in connection to critical thinking. First, because it comforts us in our security. If we process what happened to Thomas and his doubts and we get all of that information, for some of us, it gives us comfort in our insecurity because we see that a man like Thomas who walked with Jesus had doubts. So it tells us that there's biblical figures, there's great people that have went before us, great men and women of faith that have had doubts. And we're in that company sometimes when we have doubts as well. But please know they all remain faithful as we are called to remain faithful. Secondly, this is applicable to us because the story of the doubting Thomas shows us that every doubt can lead to an outcome brighter than the uncertainty it started with. So Thomas came to proclaim, my Lord, my God, in a very clear way. And when we utilize our critical thinking skills, the gifts that God has given us, we realize that all things are possible. The third applicable point is this from our focus text regarding Thomas. The words that, wow. the words that Jesus addressed directly to Thomas remind us of the true meaning of mature faith 
and encourage us to persevere when we're having doubts. Despite difficulty that we may be drudging through in life, we're called to have faith, to walk with Jesus, to be in his footsteps. Thomas gives us hope. So when somebody talks about doubting Thomas from now on, think of hope. Thomas gives us hope because when we're searching for security, when we're having doubts, we can acknowledge that Jesus is still our Lord and our God. I believe Thomas is a sign that holds up throughout the centuries, that Jesus' identity is above all his wounds, that Jesus' identity is in his heart, and that heart of love, that love that he had was the love that held our Savior on the cross. Let's take a moment in prayer, please. God, you sent Jesus to be our Savior. Thank you. That he sacrificed and saved not only Thomas, who at one point doubted, but Jesus saves us as well. Remain with us as we go about our week. Bless us and keep us as we show your love even to those that doubt. Lord, in your mercy.